last uh, summer, I went to uh, Waterville Valley uh, in New Hampshire with my family, and uh, they introduced me to this game called Catan, uh, and I bet it's been around for a while, and uh, it's basically like Risk meets Monopoly, you get points, uh, there's these things called elements, which is like the currency of the game, and you buy things, you're trying to get 10 points, yada, yada, yada. It's a little bit of a confusing game, but I'm playing with my family, and losing to anybody in my family is just the worst. Uh, and so I'm trying to understand it, I'm trying to win, and I got demolished. Then in September, I go on like this little retreat with the staff, and, uh, and they, you would think like, hey, we're gonna let the boss win, like make him feel good about himself, no, they enjoyed destroying me. Uh, and so I downloaded the app. There's a Gatan app. And, uh, and so I just started learning how to play the game and destroying everybody on the app. Now, on the app, you're playing the computer. The computer doesn't have pride. The computer doesn't have emotions. The computer doesn't have sensitive feelings. Like, you just destroy them, and you're good with it. So I learned this game, and I'm playing it, and my family learns it. My kids, my Brady, my, my son Landon, uh, my, my wife, we learned the game. And, and so we're playing it on family movie night, or family game night. And here's the thing. Families have emotions. Families have feelings. Families have, families have like sensitivity, mainly my wife. Uh, and, and so like we're playing family movie or family game night. And every time on the game, you could have all of these elements, which is like the currency of the game and very important. If you have more than eight and you roll a seven, you lose half of your currency. And if you roll a seven, then you get to move this little thing called a robber. It's a one-way ticket to ruining family game night. Many families have gotten rid of the, the, the robber in, the, in how they play the game Catan because it ruins family game night. Well, we have found that out. Brady, the other night, was rolling seven after seven and decided that he would move the robber onto all of Ava's properties. And, she, and he kept stealing Ava's currency. Ava was in the middle of making dinner and playing the game, and she would turn around and be like, I don't, where's, where's, uh, uh, and Ava, Brady was like, I stole it. And it was a one-way ticket to a family controversy where the house got turned upside down, the table got turned upside down. No one won the game. I technically won the game, but really no one won the game. Now, in, in here with the robber, with rolling a seven, it's all fun and games. It's not like Brady wasn't being sinful. He was, he was going after Ava, going after Ava, going after Ava. Feelings, emotions, and sensitivity was getting the best of her. And he, but he wasn't sinning, right? He was kind of hitting that proverbial fence. But outside of the game of Catan, if Brady was going after, going after, going after his mom, daddy would step in and say, okay, Brady, like you're being a little inappropriate here. But in the game of Catan, it helped me win, so I won the game, so I wasn't going to step in. <laughs> but, but if he was to do that outside of this game, it would create a controversy, and that is exactly what sin does. Sin creates controversy. Many of us roll the die in life. We're rolling the die, and, and we're, it's, not, it's, not, it's going to work out for us. It's going to work out, and we keep doing it until the die doesn't hit the number that we wanted to hit. And our sin creates Controversy. So what I want us to see today 
is I want to see the power of Jesus. I want to see the power of a God who would reach into the controversy that our sin creates and offer himself as the solution to the controversy he himself did not create, but we created with our sin. I want us to see that when he offers us mercy, in the midst of the controversy our sin creates, he's offering us a blessing. He's offering us something good. We will never see God as a blessing if we don't see what he offers as a blessing. So today we're going to look in to how God steps into the controversy our sin creates. We're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 3. You can look on the screens in the app. You can turn to your Bibles if you brought your Bibles. Acts chapter 3. You can go to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn one more book. You're at the book of Acts. And uh, here's what it says in chapter 3. Well, he clung to Peter and John. Now, a little context here. Here's what just happened before we get to where we're, at, where we're reading. Peter and John are, are in the temple. There's a lame man who, who it, it, his legs don't work. And Peter and John are saying, hey, it's not by our power, but by the power of God, we are able to heal you. They do. And so this lame person that has legs that don't work, all of a sudden is able to walk. And now it creates this commotion. All the people, this whole crowd, utterly astounding, ran, ran, ran. How often do people run to hear, run to see? They ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's. And, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, he knows his crowd. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Now, something crazy happened, something miraculous. The whole town, the whole temple, everybody there knows this man was not able to walk, but now he can it brings about confusion. How did this happen? It's a confusion that demands explanation. And Peter, a spokesman for the disciples, a spokesman for the followers of Jesus, leans into this and brings an element of explanation. He's starting off a discourse, a conversation with a question. Why are you asking this? Why are you looking at us as if we had anything to do with this? He's setting the stage to take their confusion, and instead of, I mean, because really, honestly, religious people can be great at this. You take confusion, you manipulate to insert yourself. Peter doesn't do that. He takes the confusion, and instead of inserting himself, he deflects away from himself, and he's directing them to the power of God. He's bringing them to the source of, of what this all happened. He deflects it and brings it to God himself. He's quick to give God all of the glory for the situation while speaking into the brokenness of, of what they are experiencing. The brokenness is this. They acknowledge power. They acknowledge that power can happen, but they don't want to give credit to God. They want to give credit to a man. And he's saying, no, you are so broken to look at us and think that we could do anything like this. Look to God himself. And so he speaks into this, and here's where he goes with this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he's speaking to a Jewish people, speaking of their heritage that they would know of, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. 
There was, just a, there was just a few, maybe a month or so, two months removed from the scene where Jesus would die and then rise again. So this is still a, a bunch of people that were probably the crowd that was involved in this. They're not far removed. This is still a time-sensitive matter when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's talking about Barabbas. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by the faith, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. The faith that is through, Je through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of all of you. Jesus. Jesus of whom? He lists a bunch of names that if you're Jewish, you know these names. I want to I point out one. He mentions Jacob. Do you know Jacob's, maybe you could call it his spiritual name? Israel. He's speaking to a bunch of Israelites about the person that they would know as Israel, but he's using his screw-up name. The liar, the manipulative, the, the guy that was just down and out until Jesus showed up until God showed up, met him in a covenant, a promise-type relationship, and brought blessing to his life. He's reminding them that with, with God, there is hope. Without God, there is no hope. With God, you can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. With God, new things can come from an old, dead life. He's reminding them of this. He's reminding them of his, uh, their heritage. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness. And then he's bringing out three names. Names are important. Three names about Jesus. First off, servant. And again, if you're a Jewish person, you would then reflect back on to the book of uh, Isaiah where, where Jesus is referenced as the suffering servant. And if they were to know their history, they would know that the Messiah was going to come and the Messiah would have to suffer. So dear crowd, think back about this man, Jesus. Did he not suffer his servant, the holy and righteous one, the perfect one, we're not far removed from the life of Jesus. Crowd, please think about this. He was holy. He was righteous. He was the only one positioned to die for the sins of mankind because he was perfect. The perfect can die for the imperfect. You die for me? Okay. We both have the same root issue. Jesus didn't have that root issue. He was righteous. He was perfect, so he was able to die. And then he brings out the prince of life. This brings out originator, the source of life. The word wellspring, our, the name of our church, is an original and bountiful source of life. We look at Jesus as the wellspring of life. He's looking, he's calling Jesus all of these beautiful titles and then says, and guess what? He could have been released, but you decided to release a murderer instead of letting go the author of life. You killed the author, author of life, but God vindicated him, vindicated our Messiah because Jesus didn't stay dead. He died and he rose again. And Peter's saying, guess what? We're witnesses. We saw it. We embraced a dead man that was made alive. We walked with him. He's talking to a whole crowd of people and he's saying, I'm a witness of it. That's easy to disprove. We're talking about dead and resurrection. We're talking like easy to disprove. If they're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. His tomb is down the street. 
hold on, just wait here a second, I'll go get the body. None of them can do that because what they're witnesses to is, is actually true. Their testimony is undeniable. But what I love about Peter here in this text, he's talking about faith. He's talking about the power that was, that was able to heal this lame man. He's talking about all that can be true of them, that, that this crowd, although they killed his friend, Although they killed his Messiah, he's also talking about faith. He's also talking about resurrection. He's also talking about hope. If, you, if he wants to damn them, he doesn't talk about resurrection. He just says, you murdered him. You suck. Be gone. But no, he brings up resurrection to say, although you killed my friend. This is not a guilt trip. This is an offer of hope that the impossible that happened for this lame man in a very similar way is possible for you. There's that show on A&E called American Hoarders. Uh, if you ever want to like nearly vomit, you should watch this show. And uh, there was an episode with a guy named Dennis uh, who was a retired uh, architect. And uh, you, up on the screen will be a before and after. He, he lives in a... Uh, uh, Citrus Heights, California, uh, and uh, he classifies his house as full of clutter. Uh, throughout the interview, he's just like, yeah, I, just, I have some clutter. Like, oh, that's, that's a way of putting it. Uh, clutter, clutter, clutter. He's like, okay, well, I have some clutter. I also, on my property, have five motorhomes full of stuff, he said. <laughs> he kept it's full of things. I have five motorhomes full of things. His house is full of clutter, and his five motorhomes are full of things. When it was all said and done... A&E removed one million pounds of garbage from his property. You have there a before and after. This is the same exact room. You can't even tell. Peter is looking to a group of people that are full of sin. They killed the author of life. And he's offering them hope. Your sin has created a mess, and you feel like God can't put you back together again? You feel like you're too messy to be cleaned? My God specializes in removing the garbage. My God specializes in clearing the room, the, the controversy that our sin created. Instead of rolling out, my God rolled up his sleeves and waded in and said, I can fix this. I will fix, th fix this. You are not too far gone. The building did not burn down when you walked in. The screen has not turned off. You are still watching this online. You are here for a reason. This is not my Jesus. My Jesus is able to replace the hell that is over our lives and bring us Holy Spirit fire. He's able to bring dead, uh, bring life from what is dead. Ashes, he's able to rebuild into something beautiful. Why? Because my God specializes in dead things coming to life. And this is why as a church, we believe all of us should be praying for one. One of our values that as we grow as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, that you and I should pray for lost people. You and I should pray with people that you would think, you know, Uncle Timmy, he'll never come to Jesus. He's just a drunk. No, my God specializes in that and we're going to pray. Oh, you know what? That Susie Joe, whoever at work is just a gossip. She's always saying things. She's just a manipulative jerk. But we're going to pray with her. We're going to pray for her. Why? Because any human with breath has hope of resurrection. You have hope of resurrection. 
Peter is looking at people that killed his Savior and offering them hope. I know that it's possible for you, possible for your ones. Why? Because I'm living proof that dead things can come to life. Peter comes, uh, and he continues and says, and now, brothers, I know. Brothers, that's a term of relationship. I know that you acted in ignorance, uh, as did also your rulers, but that God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ w- would suffer and thus fulfilled, that what happened to Jesus was understood, was planned, was prophesied, like this was, this was the plan. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ for you, Jesus uh, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, you guys remember Moses? You, you Jewish people, you love Moses. Remember Moses? The Lord God will rise up a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be what? Destroyed from the people. And all the prophets have spoken uh, from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. He's looking at them and he's not saying, hey, you're not guilty, but he is acknowledging you acted in ignorance. Okay, so ignorance is one thing. And guess what? My God still reaches into your ignorance and offers forgiveness. If you repent of acting in your ignorance, God reaches in. He's calling for them to repent, uh, to turn from their wicked ways uh, for, for many reasons. But he also acknowledges one, uh, uh, one of these reasons that maybe you and I wouldn't think about is that it brings back it hastens, it speeds up Christ's return. That he's going to come back when, when, he, when every tongue, when every nation hears of the name of Jesus, he comes back. As more people repent, he's quicker to return. And what is he going to do when he returns? He's going to restore this earth. He's a God that specializes in making things better. That when, when he returns, this will be a world without disease, without disabilities, without sin, without suffering, without disaster, without death. And so repent, and my Jesus comes back quicker. What do we do when we repent? We return from our sin. What happens when we turn from our sin? Here's where Jesus meets us in that. It says he blots out our sin. He wipes it away completely. Like, okay, but, but what sin? Like, like, well, probably the most heinous sin of murdering the Son of God. He's looking at people that murdered the Son of God and saying, you repent and I will offer you forgiveness. What's worse than that? The only thing worse than that would be dying in rejection, to die rejecting the gift that the Son of God offers. And so he brings up Moses, he brings up Samuel, he brings up the prophets. Listen, Jewish people, you've, been, you've known this for the ages. They, the, all the prophets, you in fact killed some of the prophets because of this. You killed them because they were saying, if you reject the blessing, you will be cut off. And he, he's reminding them, the same is still true. So here's the positive side. You turn, you repent, you turn to Jesus and it's restoration. All these good things come your way. But if you are to take the blessing and reject it, you will be cut off. 
So you're no longer ignorant. Now you know. What are you going to do with what you know? Because now you can't plead ignorance anymore. Now you know. So for fun, this week I googled uh, warning signs because what Peter is talking about is a warning. Uh, and so I googled warning signs. Some of them were wildly inappropriate and I could never show here. Uh, but some of them made me laugh uh, and some of them were just real. And so here are warnings. If you work construction, you maybe have seen uh, some of these. The electrical hazard, uh, the please don't ask to borrow my tools and I won't ask to borrow your girlfriend. That was just in a, okay, here we are. Uh, or maybe you're retired. Have you seen this one? A warning, retired person on premise knows everything and has plenty of time uh, to tell it. Uh, or the, we've seen this one when we've gone to get gas, uh, gasoline, no smoking, no open flames. That should be obvious, right? Uh, danger, sandblasting in progress. The, the thing about a good warning sign, you know, outside of the two that are just a joke, is that there's a very real issue, right? Like if you go and get gas and you light up a cigarette, you're taking your life into your own hands and everybody around you. <laughs> That, that there is, you know, sandblasting. I don't know what sandblasting is, but it sounds dangerous enough where I would want to know. Uh, and so if, if I'm going to walk onto the beach and I see this sign that says sandblasting ahead, uh, I'm probably not going to continue walking. Uh, I'm going to turn around. Uh, and so here are warning signs that a good person knows that good people need a good warning, and it's on them to decide then what they are going to do. You can ignore the warning and light up a cigarette and blow up the quick check. You can ignore this and walk onto the beach or wherever you're going to go to get sandblasted in the face and get sandblasted in the face. You can ignore the sign on a fence and touch it or that scene from uh, Tommy Boy where you can pee on uh, the fence, uh, get zapped and you know, sent away. Uh, whatever it might be, you, could, you don't heed the warning and things happen. Or you heed the warning and the bad thing that was said to have happened won't happen to you because you heeded the warning. There's good news, but for us to understand good news, we have to understand the bad news. Once we understand the bad news, my Jesus does not specialize in just saying, here's bad news, stinks to be you. My Jesus specializes in letting people know the bad news in offering himself as the good news, warning them of the consequences of their sin. So here's very bad news. Your sin is real. Hell is real. Wrath is a real possibility. But here's good news. Jesus is real. Resurrection is real. And my God is offering you life by laying it down at the cross. He's offering himself it's a very real offer, and it's a really good offer. Amen. You and I can keep on keeping on, and the enemy wants to whisper in your ear right now, how can I get out of this service? You're, the enemy's whispering right now, click away. I, I want you to keep on keeping on, because to keep on keeping on is to keep Jesus out. Instead of leaning in and saying, Jesus, I want what you have to offer. And if you're still here tuning in or in the room... What do you do? Here's where Peter goes. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham and to your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to let first and to bless you by turning every one of you to, from your wickedness, that through repentance they could experience blessing. 
The same type of blessing that was promised to all of their, all of their heritage, all of the patriarchs of their faith, where they, when they turn, when, when, when people that were dysfunctional turned to God and, and embraced his blessing, they received the blessing. And so he's offering to them, if you repent, turn of your ways and turn to Jesus, you will be embraced by Jesus. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. That would complete the circle. You see this man with lame legs? God met him in that place and brought healing. Your need is so much greater than lame legs. Your the broken legs is only an analogy of your broken spiritual condition. You want to receive blessing like this man? Turn to the God that, in, that specializes in making broken things whole. You can't turn to Jesus while also turning to your sin. That doesn't, that Jesus is completely opposed to sin. If you try to turn to your sin and try to turn to Jesus, you're, you're waffling, you're hanging out on the fence. We, we try to keep on keeping on and we try to add Jesus, the holy son of God, to our, to our unholy living. You, you, you can't do that. Repentance unlocks everything. Repentance unlo- unlocks blessing. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn away. It means to, to bring us, as we turn away, it brings us to a place of hope. Repentance is a change of mind that brings in a change of behavior. It is possible to have sorrow for your sin without repentance. For a case study, see Judas. It is also possible to have knowledge of the need for repentance, but to do nothing with it. For a case study, see the demons. Now, when we're on the stage, there are different rules to the stage. If you were to study theater, if you were to study what is uh, like certain rules of just kind of being in front of a crowd, uh, there are some. And the first one is, is this. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, uh, so the first, the first, I don't know if we're going to get there or not, that we might be having technical difficulties, but whatever. The first rule uh, of being on a stage is that you never turn your back to the stage. Have you heard that rule before? If you're in theatrics, you know that rule. You never turn your back to the stage. The only way that I could think to to best illustrate what it means to repent, because I think we need a visual illustration of what it means to repent, because you and I, Christians or not, we all are in the need to continually be in a place of repentance before God. Here's what it means. Now, I've been critiqued for this. I've gotten emails, Jason, stop turning your back and reading the, 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 the scripture on the screen. People have literally sent me those emails. So go ahead and write out the email because the best view that you and I can have of repentance is simply turning, is to simply look at a back because behind me is the world. Behind me is the crowd. Behind me is all that I want to please. When I make you my audience, I can't make Jesus, my audience. It's the world or it's Jesus. You have to turn your back on one. You can't have both. You must repent and turn your back on one. I understand that when I make you my audience, you my pleasure, you my aim in life, I'm turning my back on the very one that died for me and offers me everything. But when I say, you know what? This is fleeting. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. I can't have both. It's, it's one or, or the other. 
to illustrate it differently, Brady, Ava, can you guys come up here for a second and stand, stand right here? Brady uh, had a baseball game yesterday. He scored two runs uh, because he's named after greatness. Can you stand right there uh, next to... Uh, th these are relationships in my life, two very important relationships in my life. And both of them, Brady said it yesterday, uh, and Ava has commented this too. Uh, could you put the phone down for a second? <laughs> could you just give me all of your attention? Jesus, uh, uh, God in Isaiah would also say like, hey, uh, Israel, stop whoring after other gods. Make me your attention. Give me all of your attention. In, in, in a way, these two individuals say that to me. Could you give me your attention? Jason, I want all of you. Could you put down your phone? And, and what I have to do is I, I can't tell them, yeah, I'll put down my phone. Yeah, you have all of me. That's the illustration, right? Like, I, they don't have all of me right now as I'm focused. For them to have all of me, I have to turn my back to my phone and give them all of myself. That is what Peter is saying to these group of individuals. Stop with this old way of living. Turn your back on the world and turn your focus and your eyes onto Jesus and find mercy. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Uh, ultimately, what God wants for all of humanity is to respond to him. Our sin creates conflict and there is an eternal fix. You can't be the eternal fix. Jesus is the eternal fix. There is wrath over your life, and you are not entitled to a darn thing, but Jesus offers himself. Why? Because he loves you. So you own your wrong, you change your ways, and you come to Jesus, and you receive his mercy. Here's our big thought for this whole experience, is that mercy defeats the controversy that sin creates. You and I have created a whole controversy in our lives. Jesus offers us mercy. We don't get what we do deserve. So you maybe have heard people say, and maybe you live with somebody that says life isn't fair. <laughs> Praise God, life isn't fair. <laughs> the greatest tragedy in all of this world and the most unfair thing that we could ever imagine is my sin putting the perfect Jesus on the cross to the praise and the glory of the Father. So praise God that life isn't fair. Praise God that he reaches into the controversy that my sin creates. He didn't create it, I did. And, and my sin did this and he died for me. He reaches in and he offers through nail-pierced hands himself, offering us and me mercy. So praise God I do not get what I deserve. Praise God for Jesus who offers me mercy. And if you see mercy as a blessing, you'll see Jesus as a blessing. If you don't see mercy as a blessing, you'll never ever see Jesus as a blessing. But trust me, mercy is a blessing when we do not get what we do deserve. So let me give you one last, for this series, one last how-to list. Let me, let me share with you a challenge and then give you an invitation. Here's my last how-to list for the series. How to pop out of a season of controversy created by our sin is simply this. Recognize the moment and see the main thing. You're here for a reason. You're tuning in online for a reason. This group of people were in the temple when a lame man walked for a reason. Why? So Peter could embrace the moment and say, guess what? This isn't about a lame man. This is about you putting a man on a cross and now turning to him as savior. You're here for a reason. This is not an accident. Your car did not break down on the ride here. You're here for a reason. Whatever the controversy you walk in here with, see it and see what God wants to do through it. See the offer of mercy. Repent. 
Turn your back on what is wrong and turn to Jesus. See blessing, make changes, and then safeguard against return. Here is my challenge for you all in light of this. Right now, the aisle hosts are coming up and uh, giving you guys just uh, two, two pages, front and back, four pages all together. Uh, and my challenge is this. 90 minutes of focused prayer and journaling. If you're online, they'll drop this as a PDF in, in the comments. The first page just kind of shares a little bit about what I'm challenging you with. The second page is Psalm 20, uh, 51. It's written by David who had an affair and murdered somebody. So you think your life is a mess. You think you're too far gone. Well, read about what King David, how he responded from the chaos that his sin created. Uh, and then Acts 3, what we're looking at today. And then I have four questions for you guys to consider in your journal this week. And right now, you're already thinking, 90 minutes? I don't have that time. Well, you do. Go into your calendar right now and block out 90 minutes so that when other things try to suck time from you, you can say, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment. And your appointment can simply be with God. And when you have that appointment, after you've read that, those texts, here are four questions to journal and to think about. Where have my circumstances distracted me from what God wants to reveal? Think about that. Write about it. What is the heart issue God is trying to address through controversy? Think about it. Write about it. Where do I need to repent? Think about it. Write about it. And then lastly, the fourth question is, what do I need to do now, given my answers to these questions? Take a step. Do something about it. And here's how we're going to go all in. And then the last portion is an extended time of prayer, how to have an hour of prayer with God. We're going to go all in with this. And, uh, and in life groups, if you're in a life group, you should be in a life group. Here's, here's the questions we're going to give to your life group leaders. They have three things to do this week. The first thing is, uh, is they're going to ask, well, what did God show you in your time of prayer and journaling? The second thing they're going to ask is, what are you going to do about it? And then they're going to pray. That's it. I just gave you everything that's going to happen in life groups this week. What did God show you? What are you going to do about it? And then you're going to take the rest of the time to pray together as a group. So if you're not in a life group, this is a great way to get into a life group and to be encouraged as you move forward. Now, before you get there, this is a great exercise for all the people that call themselves Christians in the room. We have plenty to continually give over to God. But what about us? Those in the room that are continually rolling the die, thinking, you know what, I'll turn to Jesus when? I'll turn to Jesus next time. Next Sunday is my Sunday. I'll do it later. I'm going to go home and I'm going to have one more ride or die. I'm going to have one more hit. I'm going to keep rolling the die, rolling the die, rolling the die. I have, I have eight things of currency in the game of Catan. I'm just going to hope the seven doesn't come. The seven's not going to come. The seven's not going to come until it does. The seven hasn't come for you but it has for some of our friends that no longer have the opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus. You're here. Rolling the die is the worst thing that you could do right now. Here's what I want you to do with the proverbial die. Be done with it. Turn to Jesus. 
leave your life of sin and embrace the life that God wants for you. It is a better life than you could ever imagine or dream of. A God who loves you enough to send his son to die for you and offer himself for you. Turn to him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing the song that I am living proof that my God can make all things new. God, uh, I pray right now for the people in this room that quite literally need to throw away the die and um, stop rolling and hoping that it doesn't hit seven. (laughs) Father, that you need to turn to you. And so, Father, in this moment, I pray that you would take over this experience, take over not only this experience, but, Father, more importantly, take over their lives. (laughs) So if that is you and you are leaving here rolling the die, I pray that you wouldn't. I pray that right now you would simply turn in repentance to Jesus. By praying something like this in the quietness of your seat or behind the screen, God, I am sorry. I've kind of toyed with this. I've been, I've been flirting with church and, and I've been kind of doing my own thing and just trying to add you in, but Father, I'm done. I admit my sin. I confess my sin and I am turning away from it. I'm not trying to flirt with the world and flirt with you. I just want all of you. Give me all of you. I understand that my sin has wrath and it's a deserved wrath. I understand that you took out the wrath meant for me onto your son. I'm placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ today. I'm done trying to do this on my own. I just want you. Father, make my life, turn my life into living proof that life can come from dead things. I love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer on your way out, please grab a Bible, because as the enemy whisper lies into your ears, you need to know truth. There's information about Starting Point. We have one coming up soon that we'll be telling you about soon. So please grab one of these Bibles and a reading plan and how to get involved into a Starting Point. With that, would you stand with me and sing Living Proof?